0: want to follow him you're going to have to lay down your life you know what that really means it means to live for him you see if you're not willing to die for him you're not gonna live for him and that's what it means to really follow him guys I love you so much that's the church of Smyrna let's lay down our life for him and live the abundant life in Jesus Christ And that's the church of Smyrna. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's convicting, isn't it? Others have given so much. It's not so much that we would give a little. Amen? And I really believe this is the missing element of modern Christianity, seriously. In this age of prosperity theology, you know, Jesus died to make us happy and wealthy and skinny and pretty. And uh, you don't see any of that in New Testament Christianity, do you? Yeah, this church in abject poverty that suffered so deeply—they changed the world in all of human history, didn't they? And I really am convinced this is this is the difference maker. You know where, where Paul said at the very end of Galatians, "I'm signing off." He's saying, "But, but I just leave you with this: I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus." You know, the Galatians were always calling into question Paul's authority, Paul's credibility saying guys it's the last time I'm gonna say about that because all you got to do is look at my body to know what I have suffered for the Lord Jesus you know here's the reality guys those pagans were watching and they were changed by what they saw and the world is still watching but they're no longer being changed by what they see you know what I'm saying and so uh, just uh, some, some, some things to think about, honestly, as we study these letters, like, uh, you know, a diagnostic tool to diagnose our health spiritually uh, and how healthy are we really? Uh, am I willing to suffer? Do I have a faith that is costly or faith that is really cozy? Those are some hard questions to answer for those of us living, I think in western christianity uh questions thoughts comments as you write these things as jot down your questions we can talk about them anybody have anything they want to share any question they want to ask um we've got mics out tonight if you do yeah in back so uh go to the back of revelation chapter 19 so the question is Uh, Will all the martyrs in heaven be wearing white robes to distinguish them from all the other Christians? I don't think so. And where that would come from would be Revelation chapter 6. Revelation 6, if you want to go there first. Uh, Some have thought that maybe the martyrs wear white robes and it will kind of be their badge of honor in heaven. Kind of the uniform of the martyrs set them apart. And that comes from Revelation 6. You can see with... um, The sixth seal, actually the the fifth seal, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Remember, now they're asking, look, we've been martyred for the faith. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me we have been uh, executed for nothing more than being a christian i want you to notice jesus and god doesn't say uh now wait a minute you're not supposed to ask for vengeance all right remember we're kinder and gentler people you're supposed to love your enemies right it's not what happens here now look what he says next he says in verse 11 it says then a white robe was given to each of them and it was said to them that they should Rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were also completed. So, I want you to notice God just gives them white robes to wear, and uh, more or less He's saying, Look, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, right? Revelation chapter 12. Hey, there's coming a day of judgment and justice on all the wickedness of every rebellious man that's ever made war on him. And made war on Christians. There's coming a day. The vengeance isn't ours, but God is going to take vengeance. Now, what's happening in Revelation 6? It's the day of vengeance. It's the day of the Lord. So the context here of Revelation 6, specifically, would be the tribulation martyrs. And so the six seals being opened in the tribulation. So these are those Christians in the tribulation that will be martyrs. We saw in the teaching on Smyrna. History comes full circle. And as it was in the early days of Christianity where the Roman state persecuted followers of the way because they would not follow a man and worship him as a god, so it all comes full circle. There's a revival in some capacity, geopolitically and culturally, of the Roman Empire of old. And that's the kingdom of Antichrist, a ten-nation confederation, in some way will make the... uh, kind of a geopolitical geography, at least in some way, of the old Roman Empire. That comes from Daniel chapter 2 and uh, Daniel's image in the ten toes, right? And so we know in some way what is the antichrist of the tribulation. In some way, he represents a Roman Caesar. What happens in Revelation 13? They're going to be commanded to worship an image of the beast under penalty of death. But of course, Christians can't. Christians won't. Christians don't. They would rather Die for the truth than bow to a lie. And as they were persecuted in the early days for that very reason, enemies of the state, that's treason, they're going to be persecuted in the tribulation. You're going to be considered enemies of the world in this global community, guilty of high treason and persecuted horrifically. Now, I don't think it's only the martyrs that get the white robe. And I'll tell you why. Go back to Revelation chapter 19. All right, Revelation chapter 19. We've come through now as the church, the bride of Christ. Uh, we've been through now the judgment seat of Christ. And look at what it says in uh, Revelation 19. It says, um, let's see, am I still on? Can, am I still on? Yes? Okay. So uh, Revelation 19, beginning verse 7, let us be glad... And rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready when does the bride of Christ make herself ready a lot of people say well the church has to go through the tribulation to make herself ready that's why a lot of people believe the church has to go through the tribulation to be purged in the tribulation there has to be a purging uh, of the church to be prepared to be the bride of Christ what we know though is that purging doesn't happen in the tribulation We are raptured, we go to heaven. The purging happens where? At the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some will suffer loss, having lived in sin potentially, not loss of salvation, but loss of reward. And what's it say at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Some will suffer loss, yet they shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so the bride of Christ goes through the fire at the judgment seat of Christ, and the fire of Jesus Christ at the judgment seat burns off all the droves, burns off all the impurities, all the blotches, all the blemishes, and what comes out on the other side is a bride that is adorned in pure, holy white. And that's what you see next here. And it was granted to her, verse 8, to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do that not. I'm your fellow servant, being an angel, and your brethren who have testimony of Jesus worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, when you come down through here, and all of a sudden we're coming back with him at the second coming of Christ. We're coming back with him. And if you glance down through here in Revelation chapter 19, guess what the armies in heaven are wearing? Yeah, your army fatigues is a white gown. How about that? So it appears the entire bride of Christ is going to be wearing that fine white gown, a wedding gown, not merely the martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the entire bride of Christ, the entire church of Jesus. What else? Somebody? Yep, up front. Hang on just a moment so we can catch it for posterity. Anybody uh, may be listening online later. All right. I just had a question about the verse on 1 Corinthians that you were just talking about. You bet. What was the, um, you were ta- what you were talking about? Can you go over that sure. again? Sure. Go to 1 Corinthians. So, um, you know, the big debate when we talk about the rapture and the tribulation is, uh, well, when is the rapture going to happen? Of course, you guys know by now, I'm convinced personally, five biblical reasons I've shared before of why it's a pre-tribulational rapture. In other words, Jesus raptures his bride before the tribulation. The tribulation is for the purpose, number one. Of God preparing Israel to finally receive their Messiah, whom they crucified the first time that he came. The second reason for the tribulation is for God to pour out his vengeance and his justice on unrepentant, unregenerate men. You can see that has nothing to do with the bride of Christ. The tribulation is all about the wrath of God, yet Jesus took our wrath on our behalf. He's judged our sin. It was already placed on him. He doesn't place us in double jeopardy again to go through the tribulation, but a lot of good and godly people believe the church goes through the tribulation, and so it's a post-trib rapture. He raptures us at the end of the tribulation, and one of the reasons why good godly people believe that sometimes is the belief, well, the church isn't ready to be the bride of Christ. Let's face it, we're not a chaste virgin bride. I mean, the church is full of sin and compromise and where we're supposed to be full of purity. We, we don't have chastity. You know, we've lost our integrity. And so the, the church has to be purged in the tribulation. And that's often the reason that they give. But the reality is what we learn in Scripture is the church is going to be purged, but it's not in the tribulation. It is at the judgment seat of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3 outlines what that will look like for you and me. We've been raptured, and I'm convinced the first thing that happens when we get to heaven is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this word judgment seat is found throughout the New Testament. It's the word bima in the Greek, the bima seat. And so the bima seat was where the presiding judge over an athletic competition would sit. And Paul would often allude to the race that we're running, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now they run for a perishable crown, but we run for an imperishable crown because at the end of that race, the one sitting on the beam of seat would reward the runners of the race with a perishable crown, literally a reef. And you've seen maybe the Roman or the Greek reefs made out of leaves, Literally. And you can see why it was a perishable crown, very brittle, very fragile. What Paul was saying is they're running a different race for a fragile reward, one that will fade and decay. But we're running a race that's a different race. We're running for crowns that will never fade away. We run for imperishable crowns. And so we're going to stand at the bema seat, he called it the judgment seat, at the end of our race, and it's an award ceremony, a reward ceremony, where we're going to be judged not for our sin, but for our service to him. Do you see the difference? Why will we not be judged for our sin as Christians? Somebody tell me. Because Jesus already judged it. He bore the wrath of God for us. Instead of us, Second Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus literally traded places with us on the cross. He took off his righteousness, put it on us. He took off our sin and put it on him. All of our shame, all of our blame, he has already taken it in his stead. Now listen, we're not gonna be judged for our sin, but here's what happens with a Christian In some cases, who continues to live in sin. Or they continue to live for the temporal instead of the eternal. They are going to suffer loss. Not loss of heaven. You know why? Because heaven is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. A gift that you get by what? Faith rewards can be earned and rewards can be lost but a gift cannot be earned a gift can only be received a gift is something that is given how for free ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast so what's the stake of the judgment seat of christ is not your entrance into heaven heaven is a gift it's not a reward on the other hand the judgment seat of Christ is all about rewards. Rewards can be lost, and rewards can be won. Look at what it says in First Corinthians chapter three. Kind of walks you through this. It says, "It says this in um, so verse 11: For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work." will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is and so is the work of your life going to be gold silver precious stones or wood hay and stubble what happens to wood hay and stubble when it passes through the fire it's gone right up in flames all that's left is smoke and ashes On the other hand, what happens to gold, silver, precious stones when it passes through the fire? It gets better. It's refined in the fire. It's not destroyed by the fire. It's purified by fire. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, the fire at the judgment seat of Christ is the purging of the bride of Christ. It's not the tribulation where it happens. No, at the judgment seat, Our works are purged. And so that if you've lived a life as a Christian that is temporal, that has no eternal value, you've given your life to things that don't last and don't matter, you will have lived a life of wood, straw, and hay. You have very little left for a reward. Doesn't mean you lose heaven. It means we will all be rewarded with Christ, but we will not all be rewarded equally with Christ. We will all rule and reign with Christ, but we will not all rule and reign equally with Christ. On the other hand, you've lived your life for eternal things, things that really, really matter. Now, that's like the gold, silver, precious stones go through the fire, and you're going to be receiving reward accordingly at the beam of seat, an imperishable crown that does not fade away. Now, look at what it says, verse 13. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And so you begin to see the implication at the judgment seat of Christ. And we come out on the other side now. We're adorned in white. We are indeed at that time The chaste, pure virgin bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're ready, Revelation 19, to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb as that virgin bride. Yes? So um, in in Revelation chapter um, 22, so 21, she asks, are those the tears that the Bible talks about were wiped away? You go back to Revelation chapter 22. And as you can see, I'm about to lose my voice, which means, up we're going to have to be done. (laughs) It's a good thing it's the end of the day. So Revelation chapter 22, you know, we have songs sometimes we like to say there's no tears in heaven. Well, that's not true, is it? There's tears in heaven. Indeed, there is. Look at what it says. Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. So I don't don't know that there won't be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul called it terror. In the New Testament, he called it the terror of the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a little bit terrifying for some of us. If we stand before him empty-handed. And it may even be a tearful event. Gee, I wish I would have leveraged my life when I had my life to leverage. But those are not the tears here. What has just happened before this moment? Look at the end of Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, And the books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Why are we sobbing? Why are we weeping? I personally think it's because we have just witnessed the great white throne judgment and we've watched many multitudes of people some of which we knew cast forever into the lake of fire you better believe her weeping and what does God do it says in Revelation 21 verse 4 he wipes away every tear from our eyes there's no more death no more sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain look what it says for the former things that passed away I think the implication is that as God wipes away those tears those painful memories from our eyes guess what else he does he wipes away the memory how could it be eternal bliss if forever and ever we remember people we knew and loved going into eternal torment so I think uh, in some way he wipes that memory away, at least that memory, those painful memories. Um, we'll take one more. Anybody have one? Everybody good? Let's call it good then. Let's put it in the books. You ready? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we praise you tonight. Help us, I pray, to live this week like those early Christians, sold out, completely surrendered, willing to follow you whatever the cost, no price too high. Lord, I pray when the world looks at us, in some way they are changed by what they see as they were in the early days of Christianity. God, fill us with your spirit daily. Help us to bear your cross, no matter the suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, love you very much. See you right back here next week. We'll study the next letter to the next church. we